This is from Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. <clears throat> For this season, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of our Lord. Amen. Thanks, Katie. Oh, man, it's good to gather again. I felt like after Madison's prayer, we could just go home. I mean, oh, my gosh. Raise this up a little bit. Um, I was uh, with the weather turning and everything, so the house that we we were able to buy the house that I grew up in from my parents, and uh, it was built in 1979, and so since 1979, mom and dad have been uh, having a wood-burning stove in the basement, and it's got kind of water lines that run through the wood-burning stove, and then, um, and then it heats up the water, which goes through the radiators, through the house and stuff. And uh, so this weekend, it's like the baton was passed to me, and now like I'm the keeper of the flame, you know, in the wood-burning stove. And so I've been, I split a lot of wood this summer, and then uh, and burning wood that Dad split last year. Uh, but uh, this morning, I woke up, and the first thing I did, it was warm in the house, so because I just piled that thing full of wood when we went to bed last night, woke up this morning, and like the first thing that I did was go downstairs and like open the cast iron, you know, like, you know, and what I was looking for were some coals. You know, I was hoping that I didn't have to start this thing from scratch. And uh, so it was actually this huge victory when I opened it, and there was like one baseball size, like flaming red coal and I was like, yes, you know, like, I mean, it was strangely gratifying to uh, see that inside the cast iron uh, wood-burning stove. And then I just piled a bunch of wood on there, you know, and was like, oh, great, this is going to heat up. And I feel like this is the passage today, is, is God actually caring about the fire that's inside of us and and what it looks like as a church it looks like as individuals like what's in there not what does it look like from the outside because strangely enough and unfortunately for kids like that thing looks the same all the time so it could have a flaming hot fire inside of it it could be as cold as cold as cold could be and you can't tell from the outside it doesn't like get pink when it gets really hot thankfully right it just looks the same uh, but when you open it you see what's inside and and this is where paul is taking us as we go through the book of ephesians so if you have your bibles or if you have these study guides we're in ephesians chapter 3 um, verses 14 through 21. If you don't own a personal Bible, we've got one like at the beginning of every row. Or if you know someone that doesn't have one, like take that. Uh, we, we have them to, for people to have and we can order more when we need to. But look at verse 14, chapter 3. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit 
in your inner being. In your inner being. And if I was just going to like make this as simple as I thought I could because it's rightfully like concentrated orange juice uh, that we can chew on, we can learn a ton from, but to make this as simple as possible, I think the first thing to really consider here is are you bowing to the Father to strengthen your inner being? Are you bowing to the Father to strengthen your inner being? This is what the prayer is, right? Like if I say, hey, I'm going to pray that you win the lottery. Like the next question is, have you won the lottery, (laughs) right? Like if you see them here, it's the prayer as we're seeing here, then are you bowing to the Father to strengthen your inner being? Because this is what Paul's doing. Here's what's crazy. We don't pray to a father. We don't pray to a father. We pray to the father. Our fathers on earth are important to our existence. None of us would exist. Like 50% of our existence is to a father, right? So I know for sure everybody here has a father because we're all alive. Like there's no way that science has gotten around that, right? We have a father. Some of us have incredible earthly fathers, Some of us have been deeply hurt by our earthly fathers, and that's a huge part of our story, huge part of our wounding. But all of us owe our existence partially to our fathers. The Father, though, the Father, our God, is the one that we owe our 100% existence to. Not partial existence, but complete existence. Every family in heaven and on earth is named and finds our origin in him. But do you see that? Look where it says that. Verse 15 from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. It uses this word patria, which is kind of a unique name. It's not used in scripture very much to refer to God. And what it's talking about is that he is our father. So this is the one that Paul's praying to. He's our father, but what he's saying is every conscious being that knows it exists, right? Like a dog has a personality, but it doesn't think about its personality, right? It's not like conscious of its consciousness. Only humans are conscious of our consciousness and angels are conscious of their consciousness. And what he's saying by using this word patria is that not just here, but anywhere, even in the heavenly realms, they say he's our father. He's the father. And this is the one that Paul is bowing into, bowing down to. And it's saying here that he is worthy of this. Uh, The book of Acts has, it's basically the history of the early church. Acts 14, you might want to look this, write this down, look at it later, but uh, the verse is up here. Acts 14, verse 14. So Paul and Barnabas are in Lystra. They're in Lystra, modern day Turkey, and they have seen God do incredible things. So Paul and Barnabas are being used by God. We, we saw God do incredible things in Collins uh, this week, uh, even bring someone to Jesus for the first time. They saw things like that happening in incredible ways in Lystra. And the people of Lystra were like, oh my gosh, Zeus is here. And his buddy Apollos, they're here. Or Hermes, Hermes. Zeus and Hermes are here. And they start worshiping. Zeus and Hermes, Paul and Barnabas. And here's Paul and Barnabas' response to a whole town starting to worship them. When the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments. They were like ripping their clothes and rushed out in the crowd crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? 
We also are just men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven, fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with good and gladness. He's speaking of our God, our Father. And then verse 18, even when these words, uh, even with these words, they scarcely restrain the people from offering sacrifice to them. Like these people, even with Paul and Barnabas begging them, saying, we're just people, we're just men, look to the one that made you. They're like still like, no, we want to worship you instead. And I, what I love about Paul's heart here, Barnabas's heart here, and the way that, that Paul shares with us how he is approaching this, us in this moment through the book of Ephesians is I think a lot of times we pray without actually thinking about the one we're praying to. To actually think to ourselves, I am praying right now. I'm bowing to the one, the only one existence that's actually worthy to bow down to. Like I'm not bowing down to some random person or I'm not trying to like someone who doesn't deserve it or hasn't earned my respect. Like I'm actually bowing down to the one who is actually the only one that's worthy. And I think like we can get so like used to like a rote prayer before a meal and it's kind of like, you know, the food's cooling down so let's like pray as fast as we can so we can eat right away. And Paul, I don't think is speaking metaphorically about bowing down to the Father. Like, I think he is actually recognizing that if I posture my body bowing down, it might actually help me like posture my heart to bow down to him and recognize that I'm not the king of the world. He's the king of the world. And I think, right, like, we can look at the history of the church, we can read the book of Acts closely and see that by this time, he had a well-scarred body. He had been beaten close to death multiple times for being an ambassador for Christ in nations where they didn't want to hear it. And I don't think it was easy for him to kneel. I don't think it was easy for him to bow down. But he wants to make sure that he doesn't flippantly pray. He bows his knees to the good father who has rescued him, changed his lives, his life, and there's no one else worthy or that he wants to pray to. And that's the posture of prayer. Um, and then what is he actually saying in here? Look at verse 16. It's the actual prayer. Verse 16, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Like inside the stove of your heart. He would open it and say like, you know, he doesn't say, man, I hope they really look like awesome Christians. Or I hope they learn to say the right things. Or I hope they, they learn to do the right things. But instead, what he asks is that they would be strengthened in their inner being. What's uh, crazy here is that this, is, this verb is in the passive tense, which means you can't do it yourself. It means that you actually have to have an outside entity strengthening you. So you can't just be like, okay, I'm going to strengthen my inner being. It's like, no. Paul's prayer is that someone outside of you would strengthen your inner being. In the midst of the monotony of life, in the midst of failures, uh, imagine if a school teacher walking in tomorrow 
is strengthened with power through the Spirit in their inner being as they come in to serve and love kids. Imagine farmers looking to harvest their crops in a season where it just can't stop raining, and hopefully we'll give a reprieve here this week, but if farmers who have every reason to freak out and every reason to, to, to be in despair are actually being strengthened in their inner being by the Spirit the only one that could actually strengthen them. It, the inner being is where no one sees. It's where no one looks. No one can look in there. It's the part of you, though, where the rest of life flows from. You know, like if inside is cold as cold can be, you can only hide that for so long, and it's going to flow out, and that's where God is actually caring. And what I realized when I was uh, this week really in this text is that I don't think I've ever prayed this way before. You know, like I've never been like, if Patty's like, hey, pray for me today. I'd be like, I'll pray that your inner being is strengthened. Like I've never said that before. I've never even thought that way before. But that is how Paul is addressing the Ephesians, is that the actual parts of us that are gonna fuel the rest of us, that that is where God is actually strengthening us, working in our lives so that verse 17 can happen. Look at verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. For Christ to dwell in your hearts. Now we know, we've seen earlier, that it's just through faith that you're in Christ, right? So we're not like, am I in him? Am I out him? Like, was I not in him? What this is talking about is not that we aren't in Christ. Like once you put your trust in Jesus, we are told like, for God so loved the world, he sends only son that whoever believes in him will not perish ever but have everlasting life. Like that means we are sealed, we are in Christ. What this is talking about though is a dwelling that's like a continual presence of Jesus in our lives. That when we're strengthened, when we have those logs put on the coals of our heart, that then there is a place then for the continual presence of Jesus to be in us and to be through us. So verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, then that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, verse 19, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So this second, this like most simply saying would be asking all of us, are we growing in understanding Christ's love? Are you growing in understanding Christ's love? So maybe you're not a Christian yet. Maybe you've been following Jesus for a day. Maybe you've been following him for three decades. For all of us, when we encounter him, and Ephesians is directing us, we should be growing. We should be growing in understanding Christ's love. And I love that this is like where Paul goes, like his greatest prayer. He's been in prison for three years, and he's had a lot of time to think. And his greatest prayer for the church in Ephesus, and now we are the church today, his greatest prayer is that you just understand how much you're loved. And the life that would flow through that. Am I growing in understanding? Like, do, have I truly, not just like, it, do I say it, but do I truly understand more of Christ's love than I did this time last year? And if the answer is no, that's why this is a prayer, <laughs> Right? This is not like a shame on you. This is like, this is what Paul is hoping God would do in people over a lifetime. 
What did he do? Well, we're designed to walk intimately with the holy God. And human being number one and two disobeyed God. Human being number three murdered human being number four. Sin has fully entered the human bloodstream. We sin so badly that Ephesians told us earlier that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. But then if you remember, Ephesians used those two words, but God. But God walked away from us and we haven't seen him since. No, but God moved towards us and we have seen him since working in our midst, even, even today. Was he thanked for that? Was, you know, he should, Jesus should have been given the greatest tinker tape parade that Rome had ever seen. But instead, he was tortured and executed. This happened not because he was weak. It happened because actually of his strength. What evidence do we have here? Scripture tells us that there are over a million angels waiting for his command to exterminate humanity. And he was actually strong in saying, no, I'm going all the way to rescue them. I'm going all the way to the cross. He volunteered to do the will of the Father. His death was the payment for our sin. His death was a victory. I love the idea that, uh, that death didn't happen to Jesus on the cross, but Jesus happened to death on the cross. On the cross, Jesus was killing death with his life. And what evidence do we have for that? The resurrection. Three days later, we saw that completely death had been defeated. The first time, the first human, you know, Alexander the Great was one of the greatest, we call him the Great because he conquered the entire world, but the only enemy he couldn't conquer when he was in his 30s was death. Death conquered him. And then Jesus in his 30s conquered death. What caused him to do this for a generic people? No, he did this for us, for our very names, for who we actually are. And that's his love, his mission for our salvation. And just as like, uh, my daughter's gonna have her birthday soon, just as I like give her a gift, and let's say I give her like the most extravagant gift, and she's like, wow, thank you, I heard that's a great gift, and walked away. She wouldn't like get it right? She'd just be, I'd be like, you don't get it. Like, you see it, but you don't get it because you haven't opened it. And you haven't delighted in what I gave you. And, and that's the way this is, is that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith that we get his love, is that we actually open the gift that he's given us. And we delight in like, you did this for me? And we open it and we grow in understanding his love. Then verse 20. Check out verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So most simply here, third, are you growing in seeing him work? Are you growing and seeing him work? Okay, so this is a, a crazy thought. We, we prayed into this at 915 with our prayer team, but God has heard every prayer that every human has prayed who, prayed who has ever existed, okay? So every human being that's ever prayed, he's heard their prayer. And he, so we know that scripture is written, this is written by Paul, 2 Timothy 3.16 also tells us that scripture is God-breathed. It's like God at the same time as Paul is writing, God is doing this, 
and that theopneustos is the word that's used there, and he is writing scripture. And so it's not like, well, Paul got it wrong. It's like, no, that's why we can trust the accuracy of these words. And here God is saying, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. So he's actually saying, no human being has ever prayed and asked enough. No human being has ever thought high enough of what God can do. Isn't that crazy? Like, he's saying, I've never heard one person who actually asked what I could do. Like, you know, who, whose prayers were big enough to match how big he is. And whose thoughts were big enough to match the way that he knows what he can do inside of us, through us, in our community. Look at that. Now to him who's able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. That has always been true. We should never think, oh, he can't do that. I won't even pray that because he's not that big. He's like, no, no one's ever been able to pray bigger prayers than what I could answer according to the power at work within us. He's not doing this on a remote island. He's doing that through us here in this community. And this is the prayer of Ephesians. Then verse 21, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. Our powerful God, working more than we can even ask or think, his power working in us brings incredible glory to the church, incredible glory to Jesus. Glory in the New Testament comes from the word kavod. So there's, there's a Hebrew word kavod in the Old Testament, and that's where they get this word glory. And what glory means, because we don't use glory very often, is it just means heavy. It means heavy. So, you know, I, for whatever reason, it's silly, but I always picture, uh, like, my brother, sister, and I, like, us, like, sitting on each other's chests where, like, you can't breathe very well, you know? And it's always that, like, you're kind of playing, but you're like, I can't breathe, you know? Because it's, it's like this weight that's on you. And that's the word glory, is like weight. And what's, if you look at it the other way, what he's saying here, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus, is that the church is not a lightweight, and Christ Jesus is not a lightweight. That as we pray these big prayers, and as these big prayers are prayed for us, that the church in our community is not a lightweight. And Christ Jesus in our community is not a lightweight. And it's not just it was true back then, but then it says here in verse 21, throughout all generations, forever and ever. Our God has been working like this in all generations and in all to come. Yet as us who are alive today to walk with him, to live with him, to have him live in us, then be with him forever and ever. And we're seeing incredible things happen. Pam was just telling me earlier, like, she had a broken leg two weeks, ankle, two weeks ago. And she's walking around like, never happened. And, uh, and man, like, it is, you're way ahead of schedule and all that stuff. And it just happened that the turning point was we had a very concerted prayer time for her. And what's incredible is, like, these are the types of things we read about in the book of Acts where when churches are birthed, God delights to do even miraculous things that, to show, like, I'm there, I'm with you, listen to the message, and I will show you with Pam and with, there are several things that are going on right now where we're just like, we hope that we would see this in the first five years of the church, and we've seen it in the first five weeks of the church. And what else could you do, Lord? Where else could you take us from here? And so verse 21 ends with amen. 
Amen is a, it's like a powerful word. So it means a lot of things. One of the things that amen means is yes. So Silas, like when I taught Silas some of this stuff, he's like, so when you pray and you, like you are praying and you say amen at the end, like you're saying like, you know, you're praying something, then you say, yes! <laughs> and, then, and I was like, yeah, I mean, I think you are. But what the idea is, in community a lot, you're agreeing to the prayer. And you're saying, yes, but amen can also mean it is true. Like, what that person prayed, that is true. That's my heart. That's the fire inside of me, is the fire inside of them. I am praying. Like, when Madison was praying, she was getting a lot of amens. Not, that's not like a verbal thing. She was getting a lot of people saying, yes. It is true, and then also amen can say, so let it be. God, let that be. I am behind that. Let that be. Amen. I am behind that. Let that be. And so I think Paul opens up to an amen. You know, I've prayed these three things. Would you say amen to bowing to the Father to strengthen your inner being? Not bowing elsewhere, but would you say amen to bowing to the Father to strengthen your inner being? Would you say amen to growing in understanding Christ's love? Would you say amen to that? Would you say amen to growing and seeing him work? And Paul, it's interesting, midway through a letter, he says amen to say, are you guys with me? It's an opportunity to say yes, let it be. Let's see that happen, God, by your grace. Would you see that happen? Would you look to the Father, say amen, let it be, Lord. Strengthen me in these ways. I don't have it right now, but I want it. This is a prayer. Would I see myself grow in those ways? Would I see my family grow in these ways? To open the gift of salvation, to let the fire start burning inside of you for him, that's not a fancy thing. God did this in a way that it's not complicated to come to him, okay? So if there's anybody in here that walked in and God has given you clarity that right now you are not in him, that right now you are, you are around his people, you're around him, but you are in him, I'm just gonna pray a simple prayer, and a prayer doesn't save anybody, but a prayer can just like physically say what is happening inside of you. And so if these things are true of what's happening inside of you, uh, pray this with me. Jesus, I believe you're the savior of the world. You just pray silently in your hearts and he hears that as loud, crystal clear. Jesus, I believe you're my savior. I've sinned. I don't deserve your love. I don't deserve saving. But you are gracious. While I was a sinner, you died for me. I believe you're alive. I want to be yours. I want you to be the Lord of my life. I trust you, my Savior. Thank you for saving me. Teach me your ways. Amen. If you prayed that prayer from your heart, man, don't keep it to yourself. Share it with somebody. We're made to walk this life together. Uh, we typically move towards communion. That's the way we've been doing things. And Jesus very clearly says, often as you do this, I made this for you to commune with me and to commune with one another. Today, we're going we're gonna to step into this moment a little differently. Christy, if you all uh, want to come up and, and lead us while we do this. Um, but... Uh, what we thought would be good is since this is a prayer, 
Uh, so we'll, we'll pray in the service in about five plus minutes or so. Uh, but for in this moment to actually uh, say like, hey, let's step into this prayer and let this prayer of Ephesians be our prayer. And so uh, what, if you're comfortable with this, what I thought would be great, and if you're sitting by yourself, like grab somebody, is for us to just have two people or so, so to partner up. And while we're partnered up, and they'll kind of just sing music over us, but while we're partnered up, we're going to have the three, those three questions on the screen, the bowing to the Father to strengthen your inner being. Are you growing in understanding Christ's love? Are you growing in seeing him work? And as we partner up, just to say like, hey, would you pray for number two for me? And so it was just one person pray, and wherever we're at, any of us can grow in this as it relates to God. Um, and so to just say, yeah, would you pray for number three for me? And so, so we'll just spend some time praying for one another into these things. If one of them has, has struck a chord with you, uh, then Christy will lead us into worshiping God from there. So, so feel free to just partner up, and then we'll pray together.